0: <laughs> now now Murph I I know I just told you a scary story but trust me
1: illusory walls are not real they can't hurt you okay so just take it easy okay okay brogan i do have one question what's up where did this wall come from <laughs> oh, hey illusory wall what's up
2: oh hello sorry yeah i forgot to inform you this illusory wall is real actually so maybe there is a threat <laughs>
0: Yeah. Initiate combat. Uh, I'm so honored for this special guest. Uh, Go ahead and tell us a bit about yourself.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I go by Illusory Wall. Uh, I guess I'm perhaps best known in the Dark Souls community and greater Soulsborne games. Uh, I make videos about their mechanics and game design. I do sort of like these stupidly deep dives into the most like arcane minutia. Um, My real name is Patrick, though, and I'm also... And, uh, yeah, I'm also just a big fan of retro games in general as well. And, uh, yeah, I think that's being in a nutshell there.
0: Well, well, what was your history with games? Like, did you grow up with oh, them? Yes. I'm guessing you did. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So, uh, I'm in my mid thirties. Um, so like the youngest games that I can remember being new, like going into a store would be like the Super Nintendo era of games. Um, okay. but I grew up with, uh, a couple uh, mega computers in the household. Uh, so I grew up playing like a lot of weird obscure computer games from like the mid to late 80s. Uh, that would be like where my nostalgia most deeply lies.
0: Does that does that come also from the sound? I'm guessing that's a big thing then. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. I mean just the sound of consoles like of everything all the game systems computers like that's something that I got really attached to early on. I remember being a kid and like not knowing how to hook up the audio recorder, like, mm. cassette recorder properly to the computer, and just doing, like, a microphone record and, like, recording the audio of, like, computer game music and, like, making my own compilations back in the day as a kid, just because it was, like, I love this music. and like
1: You'd make your own mixtape?
2: I'd make my own mixtape. Like, I would get to, like, a level in Lemmings that had, like, more, like, evil-sounding music than, like, the rest of the soundtrack. And it's like, oh I gotta sample that because that sounds cool. And, like, <laughs> yeah, I've just, I've been in love with video games and game music since I was a little kid
0: well that that segues into your your podcast or whatever you used to your your latest upload was i think 2 years ago but oh, you did retro game audio um with uh Steve and uh mm-hmm. basically you talk about music and how the audio works for each hardware and specific things um like tell us about that
2: yeah so, so i just got really into trying to figure out like you know why does the nintendo sound the way it does why does the sega genesis sound the way it does I think there was that sort of, like, era in the early 2000s where, like, you know, emulators had already been around for a good while at that point, but, like, there were more and more tools coming out where you could just emulate the soundtracks directly. Like, I'm going to download the soundtrack of this game and open it up and I can turn on and off the different sound channels. And something about that just, like, really stuck with me for some reason, where it was like, oh, I didn't realize that's how they did that. And uh, I guess it's similar to the stuff I do with Dark Souls in a way, where it's, like, I get really absorbed in something and I just want to know more about how it works and if if I if, if I think there's something kind of cool or novel about it, I want to share it with everyone. Um
0: especially since Soulsborne is like super novel. Like there's novel mechanics for the sake of the fact that other games wouldn't do them. Like fucking world yes. tendency. You know what I mean? Like Oh god, yes. Yeah. <laughs> like who else would do that so then yeah it is interesting inherently and then i'm sure you just go deep into it but uh speaking of mixtapes you also do like you did halloween episodes and you did multiple episodes where you would splice in specific video game music some of it are deep cuts obscure picks. oh uh, yeah. tell us what were what is the secret to a good halloween vibe
2: the secret to a good halloween vibe for video game music I have to say, I might be a bit biased because of my childhood, but it's all about the Amiga. Uh, something about that platform. There's so many soundtracks with just a really creepy vibe. Uh, and the Amiga sounds the way it does. It has four sound channels that are all sample based. They can play 8-bit audio samples. And there's just something with like that 90s audio sample quality where like, I know, it's really good for making like 90s like house music and like you can get, kind of get like a cheesy aesthetic that way um but something about like if you listen to NES music and you ask like oh what's creepy music like again i uh, this might be topical for the episode people might say castlevania but it's like it's kind of cuz of the aesthetic of the game right like you have like a horror aesthetic but the music's like really funky and cool and driving is it usually not really like scary or creepy um, so I find the most haunted soundtracks are always the stuff that's really like ambient lo-fi samples. Uh, they just they have a way of just sounding really unnatural and spooky.
0: Gotcha. And uh, you also make your own music as well. You make chiptune music. I saw you recently uploaded uh, the Majula, you did like a remix of the Majula theme as well. Um, and topically mm-hmm. to Castlevania Three. I'm guessing this was you, right? Because it was the retro game audio youtube channel you mixed uh castlevania 3's american and japanese sounds or is that was that a different channel
2: oh so, so the um that that is a channel that i made that was actually done by a friend of mine years ago though so i actually can't take credit for mixing the two versions of the soundtrack together oh yeah they, they go by uh
0: kirby there you go thank you kirby it was sick
2: yeah, oh yeah, it's a fantastic mix. Um yeah, if you have like show notes somewhere you can link to that cuz it is such a good way to listen to the Castlevania 3 soundtrack with the, the two different versions mashed together. It's fantastic.
0: Gotcha. But uh anyways, back back to the th- back to you. Uh how do you approach making chip tune music?
2: I think the thing that I'm really into is trying to explore all of the aspects that make it unique. My ho- my whole thing with like early video game music is that like you have all these simple waveforms. But if you look at, like, early synthesizer, like, let's say you have an analog synthesizer sitting in front of you, you have a Moog synthesizer, you can make square waves and sine waves and triangle waves with that synth. But if you listen to old, like, synth records from the 60s and 70s, it's something very distinct from video game music. Like, you're not going to listen to one of those records and be like, oh, this sounds like an NES game. So it's like, hmm, despite being both, like, simple waveforms, what really is the difference fundamentally? And uh, to really understand the difference is, like, you'd have to look at all the little weird tricks and techniques that were used in game composition. And that's where a lot of the identity comes from. So I think when I go when I open up, like, Fama Tracker and I want to make an NES track, I kind of wanted to just throw a lot of absurd kind of weird tricks and details in there. Stuff that makes it sound very unmistakably like, oh, this is, like, an NES for real. Like, this isn't just a couple things mapped to a square wave that kind of sounds similar to it. Um, I just, like, really want to get in there. It's also kind of why, like, a lot of my covers that I do of Souls tracks are very like, horrendously unfaithful. Like, Majula has drums, like, I made, like, this heavy kind of, like, prog rock track, like, nothing like the relaxed atmosphere of the original. And uh, I think that's sort of born from just, like, oh, I want to get in there and just, like, really craft all these sounds in such a way that it's, like, really unmistakably, you know, has this certain vibe to it.
0: Well, well, I mean, I think in layman's terms, that's also like thinking of it in terms of like their own specific instrument and you're utilizing yes. each tool that that specific sound offers. And I think that that totally makes sense to explore those arenas. I think the Majula track is sick. I like the original. I like the new one. Well, it's thank good you. Idea. Um, now Murph and I usually talk visually. I think we fuck up a lot and we don't talk about sound design. So could you tell us, uh, what do you think the listeners should consider when they play a video game to regard for sound design in games?
2: Ooh, that's a really difficult thing to quantify, but I think it's how much does the sound get stuck in your head? So we could be talking music itself, or we could just be talking soundscapes and sound design. Um to me it's really important in your game to have the audio stand out you want that to be a memorable in experience memorable experience in and of itself um i think the games like again we c- we can talk castlevania I-, I think about like the sort of the those later uh wh- what was the name of the- i'm for blanking right now the when the spanish company came in and made uh those later 3d entries um those soundtracks were very just like dull to me in a way where it was very like theatrical very like almost like stock movie soundtrack kind of music. And I think if you're making a game that's not the direction you want to go and you don't want to play it safe and have everything to sound like oh this could also be in the background of a TV show. It's like no you want to craft an identity. Um and again it, I think that applies to things beyond music too though like um I don't know why I have PT on the mind that, yeah. yeah, sound like a uh, thinking of just like horror games where like maybe like a certain voice comes on in a certain way we're just I think of all like those radio segments in in uh Silent Hill PT where the guys talking and it just has like a really strong identity and vibe to it and it's like I think that's the most important part of audio. is You want it to be memorable.
0: I I agree with that. Last question and this will brought into broad discussion. Didn't tell you this one. What is your favorite Halloween candy?
2: Oof. Oof. Uh wow.
0: He wasn't ready for that one. Murph, what's your favorite Halloween candy?
2: Yeah, Murph, go first.
1: Well, um, <clears throat> I was when I was a child, I was a huge um, uh, chocolate slut. So I would take anything that was just like pure chocolate. Three Musketeers was my go-to. As I have gotten older, uh, chocolate's gotten kind of boring, and I go towards like fruit candies, like Skittles or Sour Patch Kids. I think I think the watermelon Sour Patch Kids is like the most perfect candy. Um, but I had to stop eating it cause it was stripping away the lining of my throat, which is why I sound like how I do now.
0: <laughs> you just stuffed your face full of them before a podcast and you thought there was no problem with this. It'll be fine. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, I was going to say mine. Mine were, uh, I'd say candy corn. I'm a huge, I'll defend candy corn to my dying breath. I'm a huge chocolate slut, but I like, I like peanuts in my chocolate. I like peanut butter. So Reese's is a big thing. Snickers. Yes. And Reese's. then, uh generally they'd never have these for halloween because everyone would get pissed and tp their house but i love black licorice as candy oh. they are Ooh. so good yeah
1: yeah. Where, yeah where you go i can't follow mr brogan
2: yeah I, I i can't do the licorice thing i i will vouch for as a kid i loved candy corn but i kind of get like i don't know as i've got gotten older like i, I started to like it less and less um but when when you ask like Halloween candy, I think the first mental image that comes to my mind was just like a Reese's cup. So I'm like, yeah. I, I think that would would be my pick. I think
1: Reese's cup is pretty like top tier candy, all things yeah. considered. Yeah, absolutely. It's simple, I, elegant, beautiful. I would always, <laughs> I would always save Smarties because in my elementary school, Smarties were a currency, um, but I never ate them myself. I was never big on the candies that were just straight sugar like Pixie sticks. Or a lot of, like, like Twizzlers and mm. things. I hate those bottle caps. You know those? Or, oh, oh. dude, I hate the wax.
0: Th- those wax bottles with, like, a little bit of liquid in them. I hate- oh, no, or, no, no. Oh. Or
1: the Dippin' dip Sticks or whatever they were. I, c- I couldn't do those. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So, Illusory.
0: Uh, what games have you played this week?
2: Uh, Stray. Stray would be the most recent game uh, that I've been playing that's new to me. Uh, have, have you guys played Stray yet at all? Seen any of it yet?
1: No, I don't have a... It, is it PS5 exclusive or is it Xbox Series X Scarlet exclusive? I forget. I
2: think it's PS5 exclusive. I'm not 100% sure, okay. uh, but that's what I have it on. So, um, yeah, it, I mean, it's pretty cool. I'm enjoying it. It's, uh, so to describe the game, what it plays, like, you are a cat. It's like the cat game.
1: Already. Yeah. Starting strong.
2: Yep. It's got like this, like, post-apocalyptic vibe uh it's not a spoiler because it's like the starting premise but it's like you kind of fall into a hole you wind up in this underground area that it's like there's some robots living there and without the game telling you it's kind of like are there even people still left in this world uh you know it doesn't look too promising um from you know what I've seen so far I haven't finished the game yet I'm probably like three-fourths the way through or so um it's cool but so it's basically like a puzzle platformer game you jump around as a cat uh, but it's it's very controlled uh, in the sense that it's not, like, an open platformer. There's no, like, jumping off of a roof and, like, dying because you missed the jump. Yeah. Everything is very scripted. Like, if, if there's a box or a crate you can jump onto, it's, like, press X to land on that nearby available platform. Um, So, it's v- so there's that sort of tradeoff where, because of that, the graphics are absolutely incredible. Because uh, they can make it as, like, detailed of a world as they want, and they don't have to worry about, like, you know how an organic gameplay would fit to that environment everything's very tightly crafted and controlled um but also because of that a lot of it's very linear uh it's basically segmented so that's like go through a linear stretch maybe get to like a town or city that's a bit more open where there'll be like some fetch quest kind of stuff you can do with like you know occasional small side mission stuff and then it'll be like another linear stretch uh so it's yeah, the gameplay format is very simple um but the graphics are great the music the atmosphere is incredible there've been a few parts where like there's a lot of optional interactions like press triangle to sleep on the bed you, you don't do it to get health back you don't do it for any other reason other like besides like oh i'm a cat and i want to do this cat thing mm-hmm. um and like sometimes the game will just like slow down if you if you decide to take a nap or do whatever and like this ambient music will kick in and i don't know who does the soundtrack i haven't looked it up yet um but it's incredible reminds me a bit of like disaster pieces music Um, okay that's the person who did like the it It follows soundtrack and fez um i i I know he wasn't involved with this but it had some of those vibes going on where you know i was talking earlier in this very podcast about having a distinct personality and they definitely nailed that with stray so just fantastic audio
1: i was gonna say i've heard the common take with this game being and i don't exactly know percentage wise but they usually like 25 percent 50 percent of the way through people love it and then you start encountering a lot of for lack of a better word, dialogue-heavy gameplay. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Like, you start getting, like, NPCs that talk to you, and it seems really out of place because you are literally just a cat.
2: Yeah, and but when it got there, though, it, it improved for me. Because my complaint before then... It's like, the moment when it does that is when it opens up a little bit more, and there's actually some exploring to do. Um, So I was on board. And the, the, the dialogue isn't too overbearing, too. It's like, you'll, you'll walk up to a robot... They'll have a couple comments to say. Um, it becomes pretty clear like when you're trying to solve a puzzle or figure something out. like You kind of get a hint as to, like, oh, this NPC is just going to say the same thing as everything else, um, as everyone else. So you can kind of ignore them. Uh, so it's, it, I don't feel like it's too overburdened. It's not like an RPG that like goes off the deep end where you're just like, oh, crap, I have to go through tons of dialogue here. It's all pretty quickly paced when you engage with it.
1: All right, all right. Okay. Do you think it will... Like, what at this stage do you think it would do to, like, not get a thumbs up from you? Or are you kind of more mid on it?
2: Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm somewhere... I, I don't know where I fall yet. I feel like it's a bit mid in some ways, just because, again, very linear puzzle-solving sections. Um, but the atmosphere and graphics are so much fun that it's like, all right, well, if I don't set, like, a, a stupidly high bar for this game where I was like mm-hmm. expecting it to be my favorite game or anything. Yeah, it's definitely... It's a very fun diversion. Um
1: it's an interesting launch title for the PS5, you know. It feels it feels like something that would have like debuted like if you looked back at something like oh the GameCube launch lineup and it's like right. oh here's a game where you play as a cat. It just doesn't seem well, like the PS2.
0: A... The PS2 library. I I miss when Sony used to do that. Like fucking Mr. Mosquito. Oh my god. Um, I love it when Sony would be like so bold. So like this is sort of like a welcome like game for me. You know what I mean? Does that make sense?
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, it has a very simple pitch where it's like, play as the cat, and uh, the graphics are fantastic. And yeah, the game delivers on that front. And uh, the the section where I'm at most recently has kind of like a stealth type thing, like don't get spotted by the evil robot drone things. And like, I don't know how I feel about this section in particular, because it's like, it's not that it's super difficult, but I've definitely died and got set back like kind of farther than I thought I would. Which is a funny complaint to make as someone who's, like, really into the Dark Souls games. Because I'm like, oh, yeah. whatever, I'll go to New Launder Ruins from Firelink Shrine. I don't care. Like, I'll do some of those ins- insufferable uh, boss rounds and not complain. But, like, in this type of game, I felt like just, like, making a dumb mistake here is like, oh, you're going to send me back, like, four minutes? Like, what the hell? Like, well,
1: especially <laughs> since this style of game goes much slower. And, you know, it's like, uh, it, it, is it a lot of, like, having to replay, like, dialogue or cutscenes? until you can get to the part that you screwed up at.
2: Thankfully, no. At, at least it's been very gameplay-oriented, but it's still going back multiple, like, sections of puzzles, I guess, or whatever, when you do screw up uh, in certain parts. But, yeah, thankfully, it's not a lot of plot or cutscenes to sit through by any stretch.
1: All right, all right. You know what other game uh, has a cat? Jackbox Party Pack 5. And speaking... of you're getting worse at these segues. Speaking I of say, that, speaking of <laughs> Jackbox Party Pack 5, they have a new one uh that that just came out um now now uh it's very good that you're here illusory because you're here um at the start of dd cast hardcore sells out because oh. this and one of the other games i'm going to talk about this week i received review keys for i'm so Ooh. jealous you go to one pax and you get shit um yeah i'm mad I'm ever since i went to pax my uh my like Side email has been blowing up like five emails a day with people trying to send me like promotional stuff. <laughs> what a terrible problem to have. Tell <laughs> us about Jackbox 9. Well, you played it with me. You were there. Um. So this pack, if you've never done a Jackbox pack, which is, are there people that haven't? Like, illusory, have you never done a Jackbox party pack? It feels so ubiquitous now with like, terminally online people
2: i've only ever done uh, like audience participation so i've never downloaded a jackbox game it's uh, so like i haven't played mm-hmm. it properly um but just the other night um youtuber by the name of uh, keith ballard i saw he was live streaming on youtube i was like oh what's this he's playing a jackbox game and yeah i i, I played uh, from the audience perspective a few rounds these games are uh brilliant and i'm always like impressed by the shit they come up with these games are great
1: mm-hmm. um so this is the latest pack. like any of the others, you get five games that you play on your phone with uh, people. Like, what what's the best innovation of these games is that only one person needs to own it. And then everyone else mm-hmm. can just sign in with a room code. In this, you get Fibbage 4, which is more Fibbage. They fixed the Enough About You mode by just taking away the final round, which no one liked, where you had to come up with, like, a truth and a lie about yourself. And it usually just led to a lot of people doing things like, I've never broken a bone versus... I have broken a bone before, you know, and stuff like that. They just cut that out and it works so much better. Fibbage uh, is still fun. I'll never forget the time Bro and I played that for the first time and I was winning every round. And then he said to the other people we were playing with, we need to start putting in Murph answers. And the very next round, he and I put in the same answer. You're predictable, Murph.
0: It's, I, I, I can see
1: through the eyes of the Mert. and I know you, so. That's why you're co-host. <laughs> the other game, uh, Rumoring, which is sort of like, what's difficult about this pack is the games are kind of hard to describe. Uh, Rumoring is, like, a, it's supposed to be, like, a reality TV show, uh, setup, where you're given a, sort of a prompt for a personality you have to imbue, like, um, one person's thing was well mine was i i received the prompt hates journaling so it like says it will then give everyone like a question a prompt like oh what's your favorite picture in the photo album and you have to answer as your persona so i put in uh i abstain photo albums are a form of journaling. <laughs> um, and then everyone votes for you to be, like, kicked off, stay, and if you get kicked off, you come right back with a new personality. Um, it kind of just feels like quiplash with extra steps. It, it feels very, like, something you would enjoy watching, like, big YouTube Twitch personalities play with all their friends. Not something you'd necessarily enjoy playing with your own group, because it kind of sits on everyone adhering to their prompt. You know, and that's just kind of real give or take based on the prompts you get, because literally mine was hates journaling. <laughs> and I had to stretch to make that work for any of the prompts. Uh, the next game is, hold on, I've got the press release here. I <laughs> You're pulling, you can't even remember no. them.
0: I'll, I'll say I the, the to... one I liked.
1: Yeah. Go ahead. Were you going to say quicksort? <laughs> Yeah, Quicksort Quick was the best one. Easy.
0: That wasn't even a debate. It's yeah. like the other ones, because because there was one where, you can say the names by the guide or whatever, but there was one where you like go into the antique store, and you are given like a random image, and you have to sell the image. And you have to convince yeah. everybody else that your image is funny. And, it, you know, it works, but there are, there are better versions of the game on other Jackbox packs.
1: Yeah, Junktopia is that one, where basically you're doing like antiquing or pawn stars where you'll be given an item and you have to come up with like a funny backstory for that item. Then you have to verbally pitch that item to the rest of the group. And again, it's one that sort of depends on the group you're with, whether you have like a lot of theater kids with you who are just going to like start putting out funny voices and things to say. But if you're not with a group that's good at that sort of improv, then it can easily, like, just feel boring and derail. Uh, We we wouldn't want
0: to derail this podcast now, would
1: we? Nah. (laughs) Uh, Then there's Quicksort, and Quicksort is a lot of fun. It's basically, like, the trivia game of the pack. I guess Fibbage kind of is, but they always have two. Quicksort is – it will divide your group into teams, and then those teams have to take turns putting things on, like, a timeline – uh so or order yeah so like one of the ones we got instead of a timeline
0: was uh the different different sizes of diameter for a ball so then it'd be like oh a basketball or a golf ball or a bocce ball and you're like what's a bocce and then another person on your team goes it's bigger than this and i was like no it's totally smaller than that and you got to do it within a certain amount of time that is i love it my favorite my favorite
1: prompt that the other team got was what's the order of kanye's infamous 2011 VMA speech <laughs> where you have to like put in the individual sentences like yo Taylor. And then someone else will get like one of the best videos of all time. And it's, it's great. Cause everyone's mm-hmm. shouting at each other, like go more left, go more left, go more right. And stuff like that. Uh, it, it's a great fun game. I, I don't think the pack is worth it just for that. Like part of the issue is that this is Jackbox party pack nine. And if you're like me, you've bought all of these on release. Uh so when it comes time to like get a group together and be like, We're gonna play Jackbox It's like, all right, well what what game do you wanna play? At this point we have twenty. <laughs> so it just
0: Yeah, but then people will probably say like people will probably pull this one out for the fibbage and for the quick, quick Um that being said, you didn't even
1: mention the monkey one. But don't bother mentioning The, the monkey, monkey one's monkey bad. One. The monkey one is 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 painful. It's bad. <laughs>
2: So, what's the game where, uh, because I, I just realized now, like, I actually don't know, uh, what version or pack that was being used in that stream, but there was one where it's like you have to draw an image and then it, you'd rate on a scale, like, how much it is of one of two different oh, things. Oh, that's the monkey one. Uh, that's
1: that is okay. the monkey one. That's yeah. nonsense. The monkey one was great, I thought. Oh, I, I okay. loved it because it was, it,
2: there, was a, there was one where it was like, uh, how much is it a dolphin or a shower and just like seeing the drawings that people came up with was just absolutely ridiculous. It was like uh, a dolphin taking a shower and it's like, Oh shit. Like, I don't know where, which, where to put that on the scale. I guess it's in the middle.
0: That, that may go into the spectator thing that Murph was talking about, where it's probably really fun for a spectator. Cause like what we, what happened with us was like, we would get like a giraffe to human and then there would be a weird scale. And for a lot of people who can't draw or whatever, like I think it may have been
1: frustrating. I got for some of us. I got what's a 6 between bagpipes and jigsaw puzzle.
3: <laughs> oh
2: god. Yeah, how the hell do
1: you So draw it's that? a lot of like, you know, a lot of people for the first 30 seconds of the round going like, how the hell do I even, you know, and just getting mad right. at the game um, cuz a lot of it just feels like guessing.
2: <laughs> gotcha. I see... Yeah, that makes sense from the audience though. Yeah. It's it's good.
1: I can see what the what the devs were thinking of, like on on paper. Yeah, something where you're picking things between a scale. That's a very good game idea. I think this just needed a little more refinement.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. I can't remember any specific examples, but I remember a few of them just seemed a little. It was like, uh like what could they have done there? And you know, it's just kind of like, yeah, I get that.
1: Yeah. Yep. So, uh, okay. The other. Are game... you ready for last hero of nostalgia? it's pronounced nostalgia. oh it's like a fantasy play on yes I yes okay so this okay. is um this is a video game satire done in the style of dark souls 1 i see the pitch Ooh. going around for this being like it's like if stanley parable was a dark souls game um and now that i've played a bit more of the game i don't I don't really agree with that. It does have, like, a comedy British narrator, but he really fades out after, like, the tutorial area. Like, he'll every now and again pop in to, like, throw a train at you. Uh, the premise is is that it's this land of Nostalgia, where um, they... Where it's sort of, like, kind of implied to be, like, an MMO world or, like, an open world fantasy where the... Heroes have been ignoring the main objective for so long that the NPCs have gotten sick of heroes taking advantage of them, and this has also resulted in the world starting to decay in the form of the graphics getting lower fidelity. So, like, people are turning from, like, fully detailed 3D models into, like, 2D 16-bit sprites. And you are summoned as a stick figure to go out and restore fidelity of the world by tracking down the other heroes and killing them. And along the way, you have a comedy British narrator who like undermines all your actions because he can't believe that a stick figure is the hero of this story. Now that, I mean, that, that sounds great. Yes. Yeah. You're selling me. So like everything, like conceptually, like the writing, the presentation of everything is really good. Like surprisingly good for this game. Um, because, you know, video game parodies and satires are something that a lot of people can't do well, (laughs) um, particularly a Souls-like, um, and this game is very Dark Souls 1 in combat, like, that's, like, I wouldn't even say, like, oh, it's a Souls-like, no, it's a Dark Souls 1-like, that's what the combat feels like to me, um, and I am notoriously not a fan of Dark Souls 1, um. So, like, my my Bloodborne Elden Ring reflexes served me, like, no he- favors here. This game is very slow and methodical in its combat. <clears throat> this is all Ooh, good news I'm like, for me. I'm, I'm yeah, I was going to say, I, I'm most
2: at home. Yeah, I'm most at home in Dark Souls 1 out of all of them. So, yeah. uh, huh, okay.
1: <laughs> so, right. what this game... Um, what's kind of neat about this game is all your weapons and armor... Um, number one, they're all references like immediately, like the first weapon you pick up, this is how I knew this game was like designed to pander to me. The first weapon you pick up is a blade with a serrated edge called the lock, the keysmith's serrated blade. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it's a key blade. <laughs> um, So all your weapons have memories that you need to unlock and that uh, that upgrades them that makes them from low res to high res and gives them a special ability and better stats so the thing for the uh the keyblade, blade the the, the key serrated blade is it will say oh my my hero made a lot of friends and traveled to many worlds but at the end of it he plunged me into the heart of an evil old man and wouldn't you know it, like, in the area you find it, there's, like, an old man NPC. And if you hit him with that blade, that unlocks its true potential. And all your items are like that. Um, some of the items I'm picking up feel like they're such specific references that, you, like, I was expecting very boilerplate video game references. But it's clearly not. Um, like, Like, you find the Soul Reaver in this game which feels like a rather dated reference, you know, like, yeah. Soul legacy of Kane soul reaver. That's a pretty big franchise, but also it hasn't had a new entry in however long. Um, mm-hmm. There's another one. Like you find what I'm fairly certain is supposed to be Barney Calhoun's security guard outfit as armor.
3: <laughs>
2: oh, wow. I, I'm about okay.
1: this. This, I'm, I'm, you're yeah. selling me, Murph. this game sounds good. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And you know what, like, I've only beaten, like, the first two areas, um, and, like, the first area seems to be, like, a parody of, like, gold, wow, gold farmers, it's called The Grinder, and it's a lot of, like, default, first, (laughs) like, uh, character-created, like, characters just mining in a gold farm, um and it feels like this game is doing a has like more to it than just like lol video game reference um and that's kind of what keeping me for, going forward because i'm like i said i'm not that too into the gameplay but it does feel like the devs and the writer have more like something to say at the end of this and i'm very curious what that is so it's got a good satirical edge yeah
2: i was going to ask is this like a steam only or is this actually on consoles too or
1: I think the the key I got was Steam, but I feel like it probably like this feels like a Game Pass game, you know. Mm-hmm. Um last hero of nostalgia. Uh, Xbox 1, Microsoft Windows, Xbox Series X and Series S.
2: Ooh. So okay, yeah, it's cool. probably
1: on Game Pass.
2: Awesome. Yeah, I don't have an Xbox, but I mean I can obviously I can just play it on computer, so I'll just do that anyways most likely, but uh yeah, oh, that's cool. I, I think I'm kind of sold. I'm definitely curious enough to see what, it, what it's all about.
1: Yeah, the one thing that's worrying to me is that I got, when I played this at PAX, I was like, oh, this is going to be like the game du jour when it comes out, you know, the game of the week for people to, like, pull a referent, like, talk about on Twitter and stuff. And the fact that I haven't really seen that much fan reaction to it is worrying to me. Like, maybe it's not making as big a splash um, as mm-hmm. I hope. But I I, I do want to finish it. I do want to see like more of where the game goes. Yeah. We shall
0: see. Speaking of splashes and Game Pass, speaking I of uh, people talking
1: about things on Twitter.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, I disagree with most people on Twitter. I don't know the, their full takes. I've heard some people's takes. So I'm gonna say my experience. Um, Scorn is a first-person puzzle game atmospheric there's a little light element of shooting it, it you do have guns in the game but it is mostly a puzzler um it's short um what what i liked about it was obviously the atmosphere is very alien inspired it's hr giger stuff very like like robot alien sexual like horror and it really works um, I don't know what's going on in the story. Like I, I don't know the deep lore. There's not, you know, really any of that. So it's a very audio visual experience for me. I still enjoyed it in that sense. I think what people get gets people hung up is two things. Number one, the quality of the puzzles. Um, it's it when illusory, when you were talking about stray, it it was ringing mm-hmm. bells in my head for scorn. Because, especially when it comes to prompts. So, like, you know, there's this big whole, like, spaceship or building and you're walking around it. And I'm walking around basically looking for a button prompt a lot of times.
2: Yeah. Oh, that's that's exactly.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what's happening. And then, mm-hmm. I, and then the biggest puzzles are going to be either me trying to hit those button prompts in the right order or... Um, slider puzzles literally slider puzzles oh no um the lowest form of yeah. puzzle <laughs> is is a maze the lowest form of puzzle or is a slider puzzle the lowest uh,
1: form mazes of the puzzle? are a crutch slider puzzles are the lowest form of puzzle
0: okay all right
1: well there's that um i still enjoy the
0: puzzles they don't get in the way of the audiovisual experience so that's positive um but it's it's definitely lacking when you get to a puzzle and you go, oh, this is what it is. Okay, whatever. You sort of roll your eyes at it. Um, the, the thing that really gets people hung up and what gets people complaining is when you start to get a gun and start encountering creatures. Now, I'm going to defend this game. This game's... In- Creature encounters are not bad. This is just not a first-person shooter. It's a horror game. It'd be much more like a Silent Hill. And even then, Silent Hill has more ammo than this game. You know what I mean? So, like, this is a scenario where a lot of times the enemies will have their own routes and patterns. And the game wants you, at least the way I played it and the way that I had the least amount of difficulty with it, was to respect the enemies give them space and then pay it. And it allows you to pay attention to their, you know, creature movements and stuff and see how they function in the world. So there's a sort of atmospheric element to that, but then, you know, they can crawl into a vent or whatever. And then you can go about your merry way. There are some times where you have to use a gun and those are very punishing because if you die, it they, they hit hard and you die fast. Um, And the healing and ammo pickups are very few and far between. I think what this game needs though, is not more health pickups or a, Retuned shooting elements I think what this needs is better save elements Because you can't actually save in the game They only save at certain checkpoints And they're very rare There's about two or so per level And otherwise you restart at the level itself So like I would recommend them just
1: retool the saves So does it auto save? Or is there like a a Geiger machine You can like plug your dick into And that saves you? I think the... (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> there is not a geiger machine you can plug your dick into i'm saying that a geiger machine you could plug your dick into would make the game better it is
1: literally an auto save but it saves like once okay. every 30 minutes that stops. is brutal yes if you if you could do like the i finished a puzzle let me backtrack to the save point and save there that would be that yes. sounds like that would be more uh more better <laughs> um
0: well, 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 then the other issue becomes, like, because it's an autosave thing, um, you don't dictate the saves. So then let's say you get to a point where you've been okay, you've been able to scrounge, and you've got, like, a quarter health left, and you've been able to do a puzzle or two, and it autosaves. And then you die at a really hard encounter, and then it loads back to the autosave, and there's no health pickups between you and that encounter. Oof. You may have to roll back another save, Oof. which is the real issue. Okay. Yeah. I, I could see that being the big point of contention for a lot of people. So then when they play they get frustrated. They go in thinking it's like a Doom thing yeah. or a Half-Life and they're shooting the animals and they're they're going like why why am I why am I being punished so hard for this? But I think it's a mentality thing personally. Um the game's not amazing though. Um it, it I would say that it's a good thing it's on Game Pass. If it's if you're curious about it and you have
1: Game Pass, check it out. Otherwise, I I would do a soft no. Can you is there anything to really indicate why it took like god like 8 years to develop?
0: It's visually very impressive. Like okay. visually it is a treat. So I I I mean I don't know. Um I I wouldn't necessarily say it was in the full on game design but I it it looks very pretty. So mm. maybe it was that. Who knows?
1: Yeah, I definitely like the discourse around this 100% seems people thinking that this for, was a doom game for the longest time because I remember when that uh you remember agony from 2018 I had to look this up the game where you're like are in hell people got mad at that game number one because it was poorly made but number two because it was effectively one of those walking sim horror games where you're just you can only run from monsters and I remember discourse around that being like well I guess we'll have to wait for scorn for a for a fight through hell and it's like, eh, I, I'm looking at all the marketing material for Scorn, and at no point do they like say this is a Doom game. It always seemed to be like, like this is a first-person odd world, you know?
0: No, no, no. So- soft disrecommend. I don't recommend it unless you have Game Pass. Otherwise, yeah. Um, I it's not bad though.
1: Is it worthwhile watching someone else play? If you just find a long play? Uh, honestly, honestly, maybe. But then again, like
0: in my head. Personally, the big appeal of it is, is like, if you, if you watched Alien, it'd be like walking into the engineer room and then being like, wow, look at all this shit. And then being able to do that yourself. I think Alien Isolation is also a better version of that. Okay. But, um, you know, there's, there's a sort of immersion. I would always recommend playing a game over watching it. Almost always. But yeah, maybe. Anyways, Murph, you've played Faith, the Unholy Trilogy.
1: Yes, I have. Uh, this is one of the best releases of the year. Probably top five for me. I, Maybe even top three. I'd need to look at all the games that came out this year. Um, if you don't know what Faith is, it's a series of indie horror titles by uh, this guy Airdorf, done in the style of an Atari game, um, but a plot revolving around like 1980s Satanic Panic. Um, And in it, you only really have two mechanics. You can walk around, and you can press a button to pull out your crucifix and repel demons. And that's the gameplay. And with minimal gameplay, minimal visuals, this dev does so much. So much variety of encounter, of puzzles, of just, like, visuals of different kinds of demons and cultists. Um, This game is an audio-visual treat. I want everyone to go play it so we get more... Weird, wonderful horror games like this, and fewer like walking down a dark corridor with a flashlight, and there's like a ghoulie you can't look at.
2: Oh man, yeah, I'm looking up screenshots of this because uh, I haven't seen anything I was before. surprised because everything you're talking about awesome.
1: with like Amiga sound design and stuff, I think you would love this game a lot. Yeah, no, this is this is completely that literally, uh, literally the like there's voice like there's voice acting in the game, but it's all like Microsoft Sam.
2: Yeah, no, this is everything I'm looking at, like, the, the style of the artwork. Um, I'm looking at, like, a picture of the way that house is drawn uh, from the outside, yes. or chapel, I guess. It's just, yeah,
1: strong
2: uh, early com- computer game vibes here. This, is, this looks and awesome. And I
1: don't want to, like, undermine, like, the game is scary. The game does have some great horror moments, in Chapter 3 especially, because Chapters 1 and 2 were available on itch.io, and I've played them before. Uh, this Like, Chapter 3 came out as part of the trilogy, And Chapter 3 is the longest one, and it has just some of the best, ugh, like some of the stuff makes me crawl. There's like a part where you have to like go to the top of this apartment complex that's filled with cultists. And you get to a dumbwaiter, and you have to give up your crucifix in order to unlock the path forward. So you have like no demon repellent, and you're like walking down the halls... Like, knowing at any moment, like, demons, cultists are going to burst out, the power goes out. So you're surrounded in darkness, you can just see your guy, you pick up a camera with a flashbulb. And now your your crucifix button is your flash, the flashbulb button. So you only get, like, a brief glimpse at the area around you as you have to walk. Uh, it's so good. It's so well done. Um and even if you've played Faith 1 and 2, uh the trilogy is still worthwhile because this comes with bonus mode and all sorts of like extra content that you get through beating the games again and again. Uh wholly worthwhile. This big thumbs up from Murph.
2: Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm definitely going to check this out. Actually, so this isn't like in the show notes at all, but I I want to share a story about some weird Amiga game that I played as a kid. It'd be oh, perfect for the uh, hol- Halloween timing of this episode. Yeah, so this is a this is this is a weird thing that like so I played this game on the Amiga as a kid called Boo. That's B O O exclamation mark. Uh, it was not a very good game, um, but the weird thing about it is that you can't find anything about it. You won't like I've looked up like databases of like Amiga computer games. There's no reference. You can't find this anywhere. And uh, so my dad back in the day was part of some like. Amiga user group type things where they would like actually like get together and like sh- disk swap and stuff like that. Um, so I think it's some like homemade game that like like shareware type stuff that like yeah
1: something just like
2: doesn't... a doesn't yeah just like a homemade indie game from back in the day that that has like no record. So I'm just like oh god like I still have a lot of those old wow. Amiga discs, but I'm just like I need to find that because like it's I think it's lost a time. Um like the internet does not right, have a uh... copy of it and it's not a very
0: that would be super important to preserve. Yes,
2: yes, and it, like it's not a very good game. I, the the things I can remember is that, and again, I was being reminded from the visuals. Although, let me stress that Boo was not nearly as cool. Uh, but it was like very much like all all black background type thing. I think it had a difficulty selector, and it was very much like an Atari like maze kind of game. It's kind of you just like go through the environment, maybe find a key that opens a door. The graphics are incredibly basic. But every now and again, I think there'd be just like really simple audio samples of just like you run into a ghost and it's like boo and you die or something like that. And it's like (laughs) just like really cheesy. Um, But it's just frustrated me because I remember like thinking about it a couple years ago, be like, oh, what happened to that game? And like trying to find a copy of it. I'm like, fuck, this doesn't exist anywhere. Like someone like made that game in their house and like swapped it like at some disc swap way back in the day yeah and you know maybe maybe there's like 20 people who've ever played it or something who knows i don't know
0: i i had an technically lost like media dude i am so fascinated by lost media i always keep oh, up yeah. with that shit most of the time it's always a cartoon or like a
1: vhs tape of something but oh my gosh video games Ugh. and how often it's yeah, maybe, like discovered to be it. in like some dude's basement and he had no idea it was a big deal yeah
2: they had they had they recently had a thing of lost media where it was like a big deal in like LGBT gaming, where it was like mm. this gay RPG gay
1: or, yeah, I I watched. Yeah, got that from the Netflix uh documentary show yes, High Score. exactly.
2: Yeah, it, yeah, they had that fantastic episode about it, where it's just like it was like lost media, but it was recently recovered, which is awesome.
1: Yeah, and that's why uh shareware is important, be allowing people yes, to make I, copies and save games, because corporations will not. <laughs> We are exactly. Yeah. pro-Amiga anti-corporation on this show.
2: Hell yeah, man. You yeah, like like a hundred years in the future, when you're in like your Star Trek, like you just talk to a computer, like, computer, load me this NES game. Like, is that gonna load up for you because Nintendo held on to yeah. the ROMs? Fuck no. It's gonna you gotta, be there because then people you gotta look up how to pirates.
1: jailbreak your computer AI and then it's still Raspberry Pi. It's
2: still a Raspberry Pi. <laughs>
1: oh god oh. all right okay are we ready for the variety minute everybody i think so i think i think we're warmed up and ready to get down with the okay. cold ones
0: This week's Variety Minute is vampires in video games. I'm going to state my thesis statement. I think vampires
1: are, like, the best mythological creature for video games. I, You know what? It's hard to disagree. It really is hard to disagree. Sort of something like, I don't know, like zombies. It's, um, I think, what appeals... To, about vampires, and I'm going to make a broad statement here, I think gamers love factions, and vampires are a very worthwhile, not only have their own factions, or just a faction unto themselves for your, like, fantasy RTS game, you know?
0: They have their own lore, but, like, to me, at least, it's because of the mechanics. It's because, like, werewolves don't have the fucking bullet point list of mechanics
1: of, like, you gotta invite yeah. them in. And, and even like, some... garlic in the nighttime. And even some vampires can turn into wolves. So what do what do even werewolves have then?
0: Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, they got nothing. Um, I think, I
1: think the one I
0: love the most and the one I was excited to talk about for this Variety Minute was Vampire Masquerade the Bloodlines or yeah, whatever. I said that wrong, but whatever. Uh, yeah. I love that game. It's a great RPG.
1: It's, it is. Sick. It's, it's probably just, I'm going to say my favorite Obsidian RPG. Um, is it a, is that Obsidian? I'm fairly certain it's Obsidian. Is it not? Or like one of those well, like Obsidian Splinter check, Groups. Murph. I I swear to God, it shares some DNA with like obsidian.
0: I'm sure it does. I'm just fact-checking you in front of of illusory. In front
1: of God and illusory. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, I think what makes Vampire the Masquerade work is it's less of a vampire sim and more of an Illuminati sim. Um, because yes. part of the appeal of Vampire the Masquerade is like walking around the human world being like, I have secret knowledge, I can do things they can't, I can, I have the secret stonecutter's ring that lets me enter the uh, backside of this building where the secret blood market is, and things like that. Um, and that's just great for role playing, it's great for a feeling of power, but also the fact that it has like 12 distinct playstyles depending on what vampire clan you pick. Like if you play as a Nosferatu, you're playing an utterly different game. You have to like live in the sewers and feed off rats. You can't go out in public. I fucking
0: love the Nosferatu, Uh, dude. That is my shit.
1: So I messed up uh, my first playthrough of that game. I was a Malkavian, which is oh yeah, that's
0: yeah that's a fuck up.
1: Which is the um, insane faction, so they don't get like normal text options because uh, they speak in, like, riddles and rhymes, and you can do things like have a conversation with a lamppost. Um, so it's it's something that's more suited for your second time through, where you already know the plot, whereas if you play it through the first time, you're getting a very strange, twisted version of the plot because it's messed up by your character's understanding of the world. Yes,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, even Nosferatu, because, because of the fact that a lot of the Because you can't go out walking around normally as a Nosferatu. You have to go under the sewers, eat rats, basically, Mm -hmm. and stay away from public places. Um, Those are fundamentally different experiences um, than the normal, like, going to nightclubs and doing all that shit. You know what I mean? So, like, but that's one of those nice things is vampires are so flexible. In, like, image and mythology. You could have a sexy Gary Oldman, Tom Cruise vampire. Or you could have a fucking disgusting Nosferatu. And that's beautiful.
1: Mm-hmm. I liked, um, whenever I would play, like, the Heroes of Might and Magic games, I always loved the Undead faction. Probably explicitly because they had vampires, which are, like, one of the most broken units in the game. And it really tickles me greatly seeing them, like, start in Heroes 2 as, like, your stereotypical bleh vampires and then you get to like heroes five and they're like reflavored as vampire princes where they have silver long swords and like a man bun um those it it's one of my favorite units in any like turn-based game
0: um do you have any do you have any favorite vampires in games
2: i'm trying to think and it's like I feel like this is a weird angle, corner, like corner of gaming that I'm kind of out of touch on. Because I'm like, oh, what have I played that has vampires in it? That's like not Castlevania, and uh, <laughs> I, I, not have much is played... coming to mind. Honestly. Have you played
1: Kid Dracula?
2: Uh, yes, I played Kid Dracula.
1: Where does Where does um, Kid Dracula fall on the vampire power scale?
2: <laughs> to- totally broken. Totally busted.
1: Absolutely. Okay, so he's S- a god. Yeah. Uh, he's
2: op yeah all
1: right all right well how do we feel about like (laughs) legacy of logic oh yeah i've
2: never i've never played any of the legacy of kane
1: games (laughs) well if you go back to i'm gonna say episode 39 we played blood omen legacy of kane um
0: for and, the first time, and we were we were impressed. We were like, "Oh my god, this game! That's is a fucking great, sick! I would recommend it."
1: That's a great vampire game because it's it it lets you play into the power fantasy of being this unstoppable, like just demon with all these different magics, and you're draining people left and right. Um, you could just go into a town of innocent people and suck them all for health boosts. Uh, wait, wait, I, I
2: was, sorry, I was gonna have to say I did make a mistake. Uh. Now, I have played a vampire game, and uh, I'm sure it's at the top of everyone's list that would be Buffy the Vampire Slayer on the original Xbox. I was going to bring
1: that up. So are you talking about the GameCube or the Game Boy one?
2: Uh, Original Xbox.
1: Okay, so I think that's Uh, the same one on the GameCube, because I was was looking up vampire games, and I saw, oh, there's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer (laughs) game, and the, the footage, the screenshots, it just looks like fucking grabbed by the ghoulies. It's...
2: Yeah, I'm sorry. That's all I've got. It's so cartoonish. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. I just remember the only memory I have of that game is like, just my brother's getting stuck on like some stupid environmental puzzle and like calling me into the room, being like, "Hey, get Patrick to play this part. He's good at video games. <laughs> so like, he'll get through it."
0: <laughs> oh, so you were the big brother that'll that'll beat the game? Okay. The little... No,
2: I, I was the little brother that would beat the game. Yeah. Oh,
1: Damn. Okay, let me ask Th- that's you. That's yeah. embarrassing.
3: Do
2: you, yeah. The,
1: um. Does does Canehurst Manor in Bloodborne mm-hmm. count as as a vampire level? Like, do the the, I would say the so. hopping fleas out totally. front, which are my least favorite enemy in the entire game. I've never killed a single I, flea.
0: I, I legit think Canehurst is like a a Castlevania thing. One yeah. of my things is like, maybe maybe that is the secret reason why I dislike. I don't dislike Bloodborne. I think it's a good game. It's a great game. But, and i played it a bunch of times, but like deep down in my heart, I'm like, I want this to be a Castlevania game. And Cainhurst oh, I, I, oh, like yeah. is where I get it the most, for sure.
2: I have a whole thing. Like, I've been sitting on this video essay idea for a while. It's going to happen eventually. But the, the whole pitch of the video is like, why From Software should be given the reins to Castlevania. Like, just, just <laughs> let them make a Castlevania game.
3: 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: Kanehurst C- is like one of the first things that always comes to- comes to mind because it's like the most obviously aesthetically Castlevania like, but I uh, and very deservedly so. I'm not gonna take that away from Kanehurst, but I also feel like the connections go so much deeper. Uh, that like to me that almost feels like superficial. It's like, oh, like if you took Castlevania three and just took Lothric Castle and made it nighttime, put a big moon in the background, mm-hmm. made the textures of the castle like a little bit more of like a gothic look to it. You can just like superficially change it, and that would be like one of the most three D like Castlevania games like ever made. It's like it's like what a Castlevania game should be.
0: I do Belmont playthroughs of uh, of Dark Souls games. I I do miracle yeah. builds and whips. I love whips, even oh, even yeah. in, in all their jank. Um, because it's also I a mean good they've game. gotten
2: decent. I mean like the, the whip was horrible in Dark Souls one, but like once you're past that, you know, pretty pretty decent.
1: Yeah, you can power stay it, which is great. How do we feel about, oh, yeah. like, oh, yeah. how do we feel about, like, like, psychic vampires in games? Like, here's what I was, th- not necessarily, what? are you guys, are you not up on, like, vampire lore and deviations? I'm sure they
0: have all the powers, but I do not know about the psychic vampires. Or it's just, yeah, like, got energy vampires. Yeah, energy
1: vampires. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Someone's watched what we do in the shadows. <laughs>
2: Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> real talk,
1: real talk. If I was any good at, like, video e- editing, my, my dream is to take footage from what we do in the shadows and, like, put filters over it so it looks like a Sega CD game.
3: <laughs> Ooh, yes. Oh,
1: Night Trap! We... I, well, Night Trap okay. was at the bo- at, at the end of my list. That's the peak of vampire <laughs> games. Okay. Well, no, well, sorry, Brogan, if you were up on your Night Trap lore, you would know that they're not vampires, they're Draugr.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. My bad. Uh, I, I don't know Night Trap, yeah. Lord. My, I'm hey, sorry. Get,
2: get it right, man.
1: <laughs> yeah. Damn. What else do you have, Murph, on the list? What else do I have? Well, when I was getting into what I was talking about with, like, psychic vampire things, uh, you know, things that, like, fuck with your mind and try to, like, drain you, which are, like, like I'm talking more, like, vampire imagery, and this is a roundabout way of saying: Does Psychomantis qualify as a vampire-like enemy?
0: There's literally, Murphy. You didn't play because you didn't play Metal Gear Solid 2. There is literally
1: a vampire
0: oh, enemy there in is.
1: Metal Gear Solid. I do know about that. I do know that about that because that's one of the things that get like brought up. Like, did you know in Metal Gear Solid vampires are real? <laughs>
0: but but vamp is also
1: because i think they i think kojima
0: answered it with nanomachines i think he's technically not a vampire his name is straight up vamp
1: yeah okay i think
0: that i think that's due to his sexuality though because i think he's bi if i if i know my kojima melgear solid being bisexual makes you a vampire
1: no i think vamp is slang for bisexual oh well okay i mean vampires are like deep
0: melgear solid lore now (laughs) yeah uh, what else do we have there is that are ha- we
1: are we done oh why? there's hold on most famous vampire in video games Dracula, Dracula from yes. Castlevania all right I guess yeah, I we're knew it on. I knew
2: it yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think that's as good as place
0: as any I mean I'm glad we did not talk about like Skyrim quests here because I didn't play Skyrim so I mean
2: Which, to be fair, so I guess if we want to talk generally about vampires in video games uh, before we get into the meat of, like, Castlevania 3, I guess it is kind of funnier, worth mentioning, that, like, Dracula in Castlevania is basically just an all-around demon.
1: Mm -hmm. He's a genuine demon.
2: Yeah, I've never really looked at the Castlevania games as, like, a a vampire experience, because there's no, like, lore of, like... You know, you get the tropes of like, oh, here's like a cross and here's holy water and stuff like that. But it's not like you ever have to like stake the vampire to mm-hmm. kill it, you know. I guess so. Holy it's it's water. very just like.
1: Is there any Castlevania game where you kill it with sunlight?
2: I don't think that's a thing anywhere in any of okay. them. Okay. Who knows if one of again, you know, if one of the. Uh, why am I forgetting the name of that freaking series? The one that you know, the 3D games that were they weren't made by IGA anymore. Lords of
1: Shadow.
0: Lords of Shadow. Yeah. Dude. Do you think people don't like Lords of Shadow because it reminds people of more like not literally but it's, it gives off morbius vibes. That's I think that's my problem with Lords oh. of Shadow. Oh, it in gives my like list. a weird
1: stench. Uh Marvel Ultimate Alliance 3 you can play as Morbius. That's a vampire game.
2: <laughs> there you go. Hell yeah. Oh
1: god, we we're, we're But but to talk Castlevania real quick on it. I think
0: Dracula is like a a sorcerer type thing, like a necromancer thing, because like it's yeah. more framed like, oh, he controls the undead and he is death's boss.
1: I yeah, think he's, exactly is pretty vampire. I think yes, Dracula mm-hmm. in Castlevania is more in line with Dracula in the books, in that he is kind of just like a genuine demon with all these weird powers and then like a vampire is something that became much more refined post dracula um particularly in books like like vampire w- vampire spelled with a y um uh, which i think also had like a recent game adaptation um but like i don't know my vampire dracula word. in the books what books book singular um <laughs> it, it does have like all this weird shit like you you like being staked in the heart like they do that to dracula and he just walks it off they have to like cut his head off with an iron sword stuff his neck with garlic like all this elaborate stuff to actually kill him and no like adaptation has ever gotten that right damn
2: yeah that's pretty cool
1: there we go uh
0: i think i think it's time for the game of the week y'all i think we're ready all right Our game of the week is Castlevania 3: Dracula's Curse for the Famicom and Nintendo Entertainment System, released in 1989 in Japan and 1990 in the US. In 1476, Count Dracula has ravaged Europe with horrifying undead monsters. The disgraced monster-hunting Belmont clan has been invited back to murder Dracula ralph belmondo in japanese but trevor belmont in english uh is the hero who holds the infamous vampire kill and is tasked with the mission uh he plays just like his future successor simon does uh it's simple 2d action only the levels are more complicated there's different routes within the levels and also level progression can be decided as a choice in some circumstances more important, you have three optional partners with which you can choose uh, to join you. Uh, you can only have one partner at a time, but your choices are Cypha Is it Sypha or Cypher? Anyways, a sorceress who is pretty... Cypha we- Belnavis. There you go. Thank you, Mr. Netflix guy. <laughs> a sorceress who is pretty weak and immobile, but has really good spells. Grant Dynasty. Please, sir. Mr. Dynasty was my father's name. <laughs> <laughs> a, a pirate who is small and quick and can climb walls and ceilings. an Alucard, son of Dracula himself, who can shoot little balls and turn into a bat. With that, they go onward. The goal is simple. Clear, kill Dracula.
1: What did y'all think of this game? Uh, Biluseri, you're the guest.
2: Sure. So, I love this game. Uh, although, it's a tricky thing to talk about in retrospect. Because, like, if you haven't played too many platformers of that era... It could be a really hard recommendation because the game is incredibly difficult. Uh, it is takes a lot of patience to get through. Uh, you know, the controls are pretty stiff by modern standards. Uh, like when Belmont jumps, you can't change his jump midair. Um, you can change Grant. You can change Grant, yes. Um, yes, continue. But yeah, but so by the standards of modern games, like it could be hard to go back to in some ways. Um, it, by the standards of the NES, it is an absolutely fantastic game. Uh, I'm going to have plenty of positive things to say about the soundtrack. Uh, again, that's just, you know, like a short list of like, oh, what are NES games you should play if you're exploring that platform? This is easily on that list. No questions.
0: Yep, one of the best Castlevanias, not just to play, period, um, but also I think it's very influential. I think after Simon's Quest, they took a step back and they re-examined what they wanted out of Castlevania. So then they, they brought it back to its roots and then they were like, well, what if we made unique stage options and then we made unique characters? Um, and I think that really works out in spades. There's times where it could be less polished than I think Castlevania One is a super tight experience, but mm-hmm. Castlevania Three is really influential to the franchise, and is just is just really fun on its own for sure.
2: Oh yeah, I should clarify that it is one of my favorite Castlevania games too. Um, I mean, I have to pick Symphony of the Night. It's kind of a like an obvious pick for a lot of people. I think that's my favorite um, of the classic Vinyas and not Metroid um castlevania one is the one that i've played the most uh that's the game that like i can plan autopilot like i've really really memorized that game with precision like it's so, short, like, it's simple. It's so yeah. short and simple um three though in a lot of ways there's things i kind of like more about it than some of the stuff offered from the 16-bit generation which might be a, a controversial opinion um like i know a lot of people love 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 super castlevania 4 and i was always always kind of like I don't know. Kind of missed the mark. Bloodlines I think is aesthetically awesome. I love like there's a lot of things I love about the Sega Genesis Castlevania. Um but I don't know. I something about the soundtrack. Uh the super it's Konami's firing on all cylinders at this point in their timeline of of NES soundtracks. Uh it just sounds fantastic. Um and again, it, even though it's stiff by modern standards like of the NES library if you want to play a pretty refined platformer, yeah, it's got some BS and some kind of weird stuff in it. It's still, it's just a very solid game.
0: I I think my favorite ca- classic um, which I think I prefer generally more than the Metroid Vania's. although I'll also say Castlevania 3 is Koji Igarashi's favorite Castlevania, so bonus points there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's probably either, I go back and forth between Rondo of Blood, um, mm-hmm. and I agree, Castlevania 4 is like kind of mid- um, and, uh, and the, what, what I'm, I'm blanking out now, uh, Castlevania Chronicles redid the X68000, uh, one, and I really like Castlevania Chronicles, man. I'm super about it. I don't know why. It's just a good vibe for me.
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a, I'm a big Castlevania fan in general. Uh, again, with the 3D games, that's where I start getting a lot more like, uh, like picky and I have my whole rant about why From Software would be the perfect fit for that. Um, but yeah, when it comes to Metroidvania, Classicvania, I just have a deep, deep love for a lot of the, these entries, you know, so, um, whether we're talking Symphony of the Night, Castlevania 1, Castlevania 3, hell, there's stuff about Castlevania 2 I love. Um, yeah, th- this is a series that, before the Souls games, I would have called my favorite series, I think, actually. Uh, so yeah, it's just very near and dear to my heart.
0: Damn. All right, Murph, tell us what you thought about this game.
1: Uh, so my first time playing this, um, as far as like Castlevania games, I've only beaten one and I got like 50% of the way through Castlevania X. I don't really know where that files on the timeline. Dracula X, the Super Nintendo game. Sure. Yes. There's an X in the title.
2: Yeah. So uh, I think that's probably, that's, that's sort of like the Super Nintendo, uh, remake of Rondo of Blood.
1: That's what I was yes, thinking. Okay. That's probably what it mm-hmm. is. Yeah. Um, but this is uh, as of right now probably my favorite Castlevania of those one and a half. It's probably also one of my favorite NES games I've played in a while. Uh, this it I, and I just like the NES Castlevania games uh, much in the same way. Uh, a while back I talked about like why I like Bloodborne over like other FromSoft games and because to me Bloodborne feels mathematical in a way every encounter is like alright I can I can kill this guy in two hits consistently consistency is the key and I can go up here and kill this guy in three boom 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 this and very much feels the same way where it's like alright I have all the information I need on screen this guy's gonna go down in one hit I jump the gap I duck this I duck the fireball whip the Medusa head everything's gucci we're moving it at a good uh clip i think as far as like anything that's outdated to me is i think are just kind of like more quality of life stuff like i feel like i need more plentiful health pickups would be nice particularly Mm -hmm. like before a boss because if i do have a complaint with this game it's a lot of the bosses um, but otherwise, I I had a great time with this. I, I love games that give you multiple playable characters, and each one is kind of broken in their own way. I've, I'm very pro-devs letting you break the game if it comes at the cost of, like, a later bit that's going to be hard.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, with, with a, that means just, like, climbing over a wall to, to skip a section or just, like, fly around some obstacle with Alucard. It's just, like... Yeah. Yep, I'm going to abuse every opportunity where you allow that.
1: That, um, that said, uh, Japanese Grant looks supremely busted in comparison to every other character in the game.
2: Yeah, so the difference with Grant is that in the Japanese version, he can... Uh, and Which I haven't played the Japanese version very much compared to the NES version. But I do know the main difference with him is that he has a projectile attack by default. Uh, in the NES game, he can get two sub weapons. He can get the throwing knife or the throwing axe, uh, but his default attack is just like a, sh- a little swipe with his dagger that doesn't extend very far. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the Japanese version, he has the throwing knife by default. It doesn't use hearts. That's just his main attack. And then you can yeah. get the axe as and the sub weapon. Yeah, and being stack like... <laughs> that
1: with the axe. Uh... Yeah,
2: it, like that's huge.
1: Yeah, because cause you get Alucard, and I was like, oh my god, I have a projectile attack in NES Castlevania. I, I This is this is going to be so broken. It's not. It's a trick. Uh, The fireballs do so little damage, and every enemy is just capable of rushing you before you can get off the uh needed number of hits. I yes. I, I regretted switching... It's time to defend,
0: it's time to defend Alucard real quick. No.
1: He can I fly. I... I did figure out how to fly. Uh, no, I also... Got, I. I got a lot of mileage
0: out of it okay the bottom of the spread shot sucks and yes there is like no damage but I get a lot of mileage out of the uh that upward diagonal shot um cuz that's just really useful man technically you could use the axe but like that takes hearts man I, I, hearts hearts are hard to come by it's a currency hearts are important man.
2: <laughs> oh absolutely hearts are very important I think as a general like gameplay flow thing it's like The thing that really makes a difference on whether or not you're just, like, on the struggle bus constantly or not is, like, whether or not you maintain a sub-weapon you want and are able to, like, use it effectively. And that's the big kicker is, like, if you die in the middle of a level and the midpoint of the level is, like, too far past the sub it's like, oh, you'd have to be early in the level to get the holy water. There's, like, there's times in these games where if I die once, I'll just walk into a pit. Yeah. several times in a row to get a game over i'm like no no no. i want to go all the way back so i can get that like that sub weapon i want
1: mm-hmm. 100%. yeah but okay yeah. so so real what's what's your favorite sub weapon in castlevania
2: oh holy water without a doubt my man so it's, it's, it's it's not as broken as it is in castlevania one uh, in castlevania, castlevania one, I will one re-
1: it's very busted <laughs>
2: I will use it on literally every single boss in Castlevania 1, even the bat. It's like, yeah. oh, it's an aerial boss, you would think you would want to throw like axes at now it or you whatever. Get that arc. It's like, no, 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 no.
0: It's all about that stun lock.
2: <laughs> it's all about the stun lock. You just like walk up to a block that like the bat will fly into with and just like throw holy water at it, and then the boss like will literally never be able to fight back at yeah. any point. Um my strategy for Castlevania 1 is literally carry water 100% of the time. Uh, in the last level, I'll pick up the stop clock to make a few, just a few like like those uh, flea men being dropped by like those flying enemies mm-hmm. that get kind of dicey in that area of right before Dracula. Um, but then there's a holy water right by Dracula again, so it's just like yeah, I keep that the whole game. Castlevania three, it's not nearly as busted, uh, and there's there's some bosses where it's incredibly busted still. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like it's it feels like the strongest choice where it's like.
1: It feels like they knew the holy water was busted, so their compensation was like, all right, every boss flies.
2: Yeah. Yeah, they they don't want you to be able to stunlock them as easily or just, you know, to, like, land all of those hits constantly. Um, but it's just the best subway. You, Symphony of the Night. Like, if you're early in the game and there's those tall enemies, uh, kind of like in that, not the long hallway, but there's that one section where there's, like, the guy with the iron ball and chain, and there's that one demon that, like, spits fireballs at you. it's like... If you're not too familiar with the game yet, those enemies could actually be kind of tricky. They have like high kind of high damage relative to where you are, but it's like, oh, if you just have holy water, just stand next to them, spam it, they're dead. Not even like an obstacle. It's just it's the it's the best sub weapon.
0: See, for for classicvania, I mean, obviously it's like for one holy water's busted. I don't know. Man, I'm one of those visual people that I when I play Castlevania, I engross myself in it. I am Trevor Belmont when I'm playing it. So, like, I imagine myself in all 8-bit glory. And I, also, Trevor has a fantastic ass. I don't know if y'all noticed, but he's got some cake <laughs> going on. <laughs> Anyways, he, uh I love the crosses. I love throwing the crosses and then whipping. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's just so satisfying. Uh, so, like, when I was able to, like, beat the first phase of the Grim Reaper in, like, a fucking second. Because I just threw the fucking... Yeah. Uh, cross, it came back, it fucking wrecked his shit, and I just whipped him, oh, it just felt so good.
2: the Even though I've got my, like, soft spot, my affinity for Holy Water, cross would be my next pick easily. um Holy Water, to make some arguments against it, not very great on um, Dracula. um no. That final that final form, it does like no damage to that, to, like, his third stage. uh It's just very weak, and it's like, man, you want the cross for that. You don't want Holy Water for that. And again, for Castlevania 1, uh, when I I consciously did a run where it's like, all right, I ab- exploit the hell out of holy water. So let me do a run where I don't use holy water, and my oh, main wow. gimmick, my main gimmick was just to max out uh, the cross. And it was like it is, it is the next best weapon for sure,
0: one hundred percent. Yeah, because like I I can't even imagine like actually fighting like second form Dracula Castlevania two without holy water or fighting fucking grim reaper i think grim reaper is actually the hardest fucking fighting castlevania one without a fucking uh, oh oh,
2: yeah i remember so i was at this uh i don't really go too often anymore but i used to go to this convention a lot uh, called magfest this video game convention and they had a really cool challenge like booth set up where it was like uh just a bunch of computers set up with emulators and it was kind of like try to do the challenges uh like check off like see amount you can do i don't remember if they were there like giveaways for it but they had one where it's like an emulator with a safe state set up at dracula and it was literally you don't have any upgrades it was like can oh. you beat, or not dracula at death and it was like can you beat death just with the basic starting short whip and no sub weapons oh, and like i oh, tried a bunch insane. of times and i did not get through it and it's like castlevania one's a game i've beaten without dying i've once beat it without getting hit um, but it's all about the holy water exploit. I just I tried like 10 times probably and just gave up. I was like, fuck, this is too hard.
1: If the Netflix yeah. series is to be believed, all you need to beat death is the dagger. <laughs> okay.
2: <laughs> if, o- if only.
0: Um. <laughs> uh, what, what do you all think about, uh? because we, we, we haven't talked about SIFA or the alternate level pr- branches yet. What, what are your all opinions on that?
1: uh sypha is probably i I played i only played a bit of her today but i think she is probably my favorite of the alternate characters like her grant and alucard um because you know what it's fun to be a wizard it feels like a like the other two feel complimentary to trevor sypha feels like she's in her own game and that's the fun yeah Yeah, it feels good to wreck shit yeah
2: my whole thing with the branching paths, I guess I didn't articulate this point as as cl- now that I think about it more when I was talking about like not feeling as keen on the sixteen-bit games as much. It's like in that middle era of games, I feel like they're missing something, right? And the, the something they were missing was like kind of the big leap to Metroidvania. You know, not necessarily that Metroidvania is better than Classic Venia, uh because you know, I love all of these games. Um but like when I played Castlevania 3 it felt like again, it was a return to like what they wanted to do with the games coming back from Castlevania 2. Um, but the branching paths, at least, was something new and interesting. When you get to, like, Super Castlevania 4, it's kind of like multi-directional whipping, I guess? And that always felt like yeah. a bit of just kind of like, a like, oh, man, you were doing something cooler with that with Castlevania 3. Um, it's it, like they got more basic. They, they sort of regressed in a way. And it's kind of they didn't figure out that next leap until it, in, until Metroidvanias, I feel like.
0: Well, yeah, and it definitely, like, ruined... The, the eight-directional whipping of Castlevania 4 has cool moments, like with the... Uh, the um mode seven you know twirling yes you know with the grapple and stuff but then it, and then it loses so much in encounter design by losing out on the sub weapons you know whatever but for me one of the reasons why i like rondo and one day we will do a rondo of blood episode is because i feel like this rondo of blood is like a spiritual successor to this particularly with the branching paths because rondo puts the branching mm-hmm. paths into the level where it's like a secret and then you have a secret yes. boss to fight and shit. I love that. It's so it's just so great for me. Um yeah. but yes, I could I can definitely see that there there's like weird weird no link. There it, it's it's almost as if
1: they abandoned three for a lot of uh Bloodlines or Super Castlevania Four. Absolutely. For me, if I had like grown up with this game or even just had more time with it, I could definitely feel myself growing more affinity for certain levels and when you get to like that branching path it's like oh no i gotta do the top path because then i get to go to the pirate ship level and things like that or like oh no, no i don't want to go through the level with like the the wall dragon bone snakes that level sucks that And things part is like so that. hard yeah
2: it, it having having that option of pathing just felt like it, it was it was something that was more interesting to me than the console uh you know the ones that were available here stateside uh rondo is great rondo is super super cool um, but yeah, it, it gave Castlevania 3 something that I thought the next couple of games were missing.
0: 100%. Um, dude, let's talk sound because there's a, there's yes. a huge sound difference.
2: Oh yes, man. I, oh, I could talk about the audio all day. Uh, so I'll try to keep it quick. Um, yeah. So for those who are not familiar, the original Japanese version of Castlevania 3 had sound expansion, uh, expansion audio. Uh, this is something we didn't get on the NES at all. There were no American or European NES games that had expansion audio. Uh, The way it worked is inside the cartridge itself, it has an extra chip in there that can produce additional audio. And it just routes it through the console. So uh, you have the original five sound channels of the NES and Famicom, uh, plus three additional sound channels coming out of the cartridge itself directly. Uh, And of course it mixes to your TV, so it comes from one sound source in the end. Um, Yeah, really, really cool thing that the Famicom was capable of. Uh, The NES, with like a tiny modification can do it as well. So the, the, the consoles themselves are very similar underneath the hood. It's the same console for all intents and purposes, but just a minor difference. The end user never got to hear extra audio channels. Um, it's really cool. It offered two extra sound channels of pulse waves, you could call them. Um, that's a fancy way of saying like square waves, but also rectangle waves, like where it might not be a perfect square in shape. And then also a Sawtooth Wave was like the third extra sound channel they uh, added, which has a very buzzy, bassy sound uh, that's like very heavy and thick. And uh, yeah, it sounds fantastic.
1: Yeah, Uh, what I like is sort of, I like the boss music, and it's not even really the full track. It's that first, like that... Mm-hmm uh because that is like the most perfect like oh shit here we go again music as like the boss reveals itself and then it just escalates from there and of course like the original like Cla- castlevania theme uh, that's one of my favorite nes tracks i'll just put that on uh whenever i'm fighting like a tough from boss because it really pumps you up like you said at the start it's very funky in fact castlevania is a surprisingly funky series
2: oh absolutely yeah Oh, yeah, it's, like, hard to describe the genre. It's, like, well, if you want to have a classic NES Castlevania sound, it's got to be, like, funk, Baroque pop, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, it's a mishmash of, of these different elements. Um,
1: and then I assume as, like, because I, like I said, I've only played one, three, and half of X, but I assume, like, Symphony of the Night, they start leaning more, like, orchestral from that point on?
2: They branch off. Symphony of the Night is... is it's a great soundtrack. Very weird in a lot of ways, though. Yeah, it's a, it's a very really? diverse soundtrack. There's there's some there's some songs with electric guitar and shredding on them. There's other songs that are just like kind of like ambient synth melodies that are like pretty chill. Um, oh, okay, yeah, so, I,
1: I, I'd be into that. All right.
2: Yeah, it's a bit all over the map, um, but not in a bad way. It's a, it's a great soundtrack. So, I, I can't stress enough, too, like, this is when Konami, for going back to Castlevania 3, this is when Konami was really firing on all cylinders with their NES sound design. Um, there's a sort of narrative when you talk about the two different versions of the soundtrack, like, it's awesome to go back to the Japanese version and hear the bigger, fuller version of the soundtrack, uh, but the NES version of the soundtrack is absolutely fantastic as well. It's not a case of, like, oh, it's missing a bunch of sound channels, so it totally sucks, um, there's other games that happen with, like Gimmick is a Famicom game that has a really great soundtrack, but if you play the European version that doesn't have expansion audio, it's just like, it's clearly missing. It sounds terrible. Um, but Castlevania three, it's like both versions of the soundtrack, they really put their hearts into the soundtrack. Uh, it's a weird window of time where like Konami today, like everyone's just like, oh, that's the company that doesn't care about their games, you know, like they 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 don't put effort into making quality games is just about licensing the ips occasionally making pachinko machines you know because konami makes more money elsewhere um yep. or but making there's that a window of...
0: slot machine <laughs> exactly hit the lever. But there's, a, there's
2: this there's this period of time in the early 90s late 80s where like the developers really gave a shit and like yeah. the the you know and the, as a company they allowed them they gave them the time and funding to do this stuff uh I guess going away from Castlevania 3 for a second, Castlevania 2, uh, that originally came out on the Famicom disk system, it was a floppy disk system for, the, uh, game for the Famicom, when they brought it to the U.S. a, a year later, they didn't just, like, redo the soundtrack because it was missing one sa- one sound channel, but they redid the sound design at an extreme level where, like, they went all out with it and, like, tried to make it better than the original soundtrack, and it's like, wow, like, why do they care so much about the audio? It's a really weird thing to hear. Uh when you like compare the two soundtracks and it's like damn, Konami just really fundamentally cared about having good soundtracks for the Castlevania games and I think that's why they're remembered today as like, oh what's like, you know, what are some great NES game soundtracks? Like everyone's going to say Castlevania like right away.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I think one of the big things is I always think of it like this cuz I because I particularly like Capcom. Like, I'm a huge Mega Man guy as well. So, like, I love yep. the mm-hmm. Mega Man songs. Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I think love I what Man it too. is yeah. is a big part of it has to do with the fact that you're probably going to be dying in these levels a lot, right? Mm-hmm. So, you're going to be hearing the same songs over and over again. And if the song is unbearable, then you won't want to play the game. <laughs> I think it's that simple, seriously. You know yeah, I mean? no, Especially back it's... in the day.
2: It's a serious motivation to continue. I was just replaying the game Castlevania 3 over the last couple of days and when I was getting towards the end of the well, it's game a good thing you did, and I kept dying you're on a there's a podcast that... about it. <laughs> exactly. There there's that track uh, Riddle it's called. It's like when you're in like the second to last level or whatever. It's like that really fast track that has like fast arpeggios in it. just like anytime I died it was like well the music is so good that I'm pumped up again like yeah. I'm just like I'm ready to go because the music rules and I think I, in it's a sort of inverse to that in the middle of the game you have those levels with all of, like the falling block sections and that's one of the more ambient tracks out of the game and like it sounds cooler in the original version of the soundtrack because with more sound channels you can actually do an ambient kind of thing but it's sort of like the worst track in the soundtrack in my opinion of in the NES version And it's just, like, when I'm dying here to, like, these frustrating falling block, like, platforming sections, and the music is just, like, at its most boring for the whole soundtrack, I'm like, ah, that's, like, when I'm at, like, my lowest motivation in the game.
1: That, real talk, that falling block, like, thing on the way to death, that sucks. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That was the only (laughs) time I was happy to have uh, Alucard with me. Oh my god, yes.
2: And there, there's such a thing. There's a moment there, too, like, when you get to the falling block section where it takes a really long time because you have to, like, scroll the screen upwards. Yeah. Th- there's a time where, like, I flew up, but I didn't have enough hearts to make it to the very top. Oof. I made it to, like, the couple blocks that are underneath the top section, and from there, you can't jump up to the top. Like, you, you don't have an angle for it. But because I flew past the bottom section the falling blocks never had a chance to land. They were just falling out the bottom of the screen at that point and not adding to anything. So I was literally trapped where I was. I didn't have hearts to fly. Yeah. And the, the blocks were just not adding to anything. It's like, well, guess I got to jump to my death here.
1: (laughs) Uh, You know, speaking of those later levels, um, what's so remarkable about this game compared to a lot of like games from the time of the NES and even like early into the SNES is that the late game doesn't suck. And that's mm-hmm. such an itchy... I, I call this the Sonic effect, where, like, Green Hill Zone, Sonic 1, it's a great time, you're going fast, you're doing loops, and then, like, four stages level later, it's, like, do pushing block puzzles, stand on platforms, and mm-hmm. wait for them to get to the end of something, and stuff like that, and it's just, like, so antithetical to the stuff you had fun with at the start of the game, but this game completely doesn't do that. Like la- Like, in Dracula's Castle, that shit's still fun. You're still, like having a good time with it. I think my only complaint is, like, some of the enemies start dealing a little more damage than they should. Like, I don't think getting hit by a crow should take off a quarter of your health bar. Mm-hmm. But that just kind of goes back into my want of, like, better checkpoints and more, like, plentiful health pickups. I think that would help streamline the experience.
2: Yeah, I, something that would... Uh... Streamline the experience for sure is if they took the Bucky O'Hare approach, uh, which is another Konami NES game that is awesome. Uh, it's very difficult. It's like it's a really really hard game. But the catch to that is that when you not only when you die but when you use a continue, all of your mid level checkpoints are like where you respawn. It never sends you back to the full beginning of the level. So okay. you never go that far back when you use a, a continue. And it's kind of like oh man, like I feel like Castlevania Three could benefit from that. Um, because it is really like again i i I've, I've it's kind of funny looking back at these games cuz i spent so much time in them and uh but Castlevania 3 is a game that i played a lot maybe like 10 15 years ago i had a period where you know it's like oh let me get all the endings let me do all the things haven't really played it much since then so in the last couple of days when i was playing it i was telling myself like oh i'm going to do this without save states like i'm going to like go in do it the old school way and i gave up on that halfway yeah. through cuz it's just like this is a brutal game. It's really yeah. hard. And, well, uh, yeah. It just getting sent far back is such a kicker. Uh, when you, when you, um, die to Dracula.
0: It sends you, it doesn't send you to the stairs! Oh my god! Sorry. Yeah.
2: Sends you to the middle level. And, like, it, and to compare that to Castle, and apparently in, in the Japanese version, it does start you at Dracula again. But like, yeah. in Castlevania 1, even that game, like some of the continues can send you back kind of far. But once you get to Dracula, even a continue doesn't send you back to the beginning of the last level. It, it spawns you at Dracula. And I'm just like, man. Because Ca- it knows 3, it you knows really that you needed that. It, it knows. Yeah. 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 You made it to the final boss. It's it's The boss is still going to be work. So don't make you do a bunch of level stuff before that. It knows that this is
1: the part you're stuck on. <laughs> yeah, and I think um, that's that's a very important thing for devs to recognize is where is the player going to get stuck and what sort of like boons do they need to help them not break their contr- controller there
2: yeah and there is just not quite enough on that at that point in time it's still you know late 80s early 90s where like they're making games more fair than arcade games you know they're like oh mm-hmm. we've made games that have like a start and finish to them and like
1: but they still uh, don't want you beating it in rental.
2: Exactly, exactly. And yeah, Castlevania Three is in that weird spot where, I mean, it's a really, really hard game. I mean, there, there's harder games on the NES for sure. Like I would, I, I think it, it's Apples and Oranges sometimes. Like I would say Battletoads or Ghosts and Goblins is harder probably. Um, but this is like this is in the tier like closest to that. It's like th- this is a game you need to really pay attention to enemy move sets and placement. Um, you have to be, like, super mindful of, like, oh, don't get bumped by this while I'm walking up these stairs because I will fall to my death. Uh, it, is yeah. a, it is a grueling, challenging game.
1: To me, this is I, – I have, like, that differentiation between challenging and difficult. Uh, difficult is when something is bullshit. Um, if, if anyone listened to me talk about Link to the Past last episode, to me, Link to the Past is bullshit. This is challenging. I disagree, Murph,
0: you're wrong! I'm sorry,
1: continue. And therefore, I have fun with it. Therefore, I have fun with it. Like, I think the Medusa head is one of the best enemies in game design, because it is... So straightforward. It is so within the player's control, but it's so easy to psych yourself out about it. Being like, oh, oh, mm-hmm. this is the block where I can dodge it on. Nope, wrong, you get hit, you get knocked into a pit. Um, Just, like, the psychology of the game and how it tricks the player into giving themselves damage is so good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, on the flip side to everything is, like, I think what makes it the challenging thing is that consistency. Because, like, none of the bosses... They're all hard. The oh, bosses are ball. bullshit. I don't think I... The bosses, bosses... are consistent. Well, go ahead and tell the bosses you had troubles with.
1: Uh, The one I had the biggest trouble with is, I don't even really know what you call this boss, the Triple Coffin. Uh, yeah. Where it's... Where you have to fight the two mummies, then the Cyclops, then the demon. And you have to do the, that all the, Those coffin
0: one. bosses come back multiple times in the different routes. Because you could, you could go other ways and there'd be other... yeah you'll Mm -hmm. you'll see this hammer monster and all that stuff they they reuse those so by that point in the game number one they were expecting you to have maybe seen those bosses before um which is why i don't mind boss reuses in games uh thank you dark souls 2 (laughs) um and uh i was gonna say is like i don't think it's unfair is it is it difficult shit yes but like even with those three three coffins i think the only issue is just like you needing health and needing heart pickups, but like the the enemies themselves are just very clearly a pattern. Yeah. Like for instance, on that third boss, that like goat demon thing, what it does is it flies up. You just got to bait it into slamming down. Slamming down. And you just mm-hmm. whip it. That's all yeah. you do. And, and maybe, maybe it'll throw fireballs at you, but you got to whip the fireballs and you're good. It That's it. That's literally it. You don't have mm-hmm. to get hit at all during that boss.
1: You know, but the trick is learning that, and learning that takes probably 10 deaths. You know, and if you're playing Uh, this as God intended, then you're not like having a save state right before the boss room, and you know, then it's so impossible to practice the fight. Um, yeah,
2: yeah, if you're in the route where you have that flying like dragon skeleton thing as the boss um and earlier in the level you have all of the white dragon skeletons that you know the wall mounted serpentines yes Yes. it's like you have to go back and you have to it's like you you spend some time like learning the boss's movements you're you're trying to figure out how the boss moves like is it rng is it scripted like what you're trying to get a gauge for like how to learn the fight but you get sent back so far and have to deal with like (laughs) these this really hard level getting there it's just it's brutal
0: I am so shocked on that boss. Cause they split it in halves. Like once you get to like a quarter of his health, it ends the fucking level, and you're like, oh okay. And then like you fight him again, but if you die to that one, you start all over. And you're like, what the fuck?
1: So Yeah. Uh, so on the opposite end of like the good game design spectrum with the Medusa head, I I hate, I despise the Fleeman and the green slimes.
2: <laughs> yeah. I think I've come to terms with the flea men. I don't hate them too much. Uh, it's any time there's a section where they're being dropped by flying enemies, it's like, oh shit, it's on. You have to really be conscious of like. Yes, your that's my least favorite and...
1: part in Castlevania One, the level where all the flea men fly in. Oh, I,
2: I'm I'm okay with it, but uh, yeah, it's it's there's these moments where you have to put up with stuff that's just really frustrating. Um,
0: I think it's times like that I always keep in mind that like. The sub weapon, like in my head, there's, you have the consistent toolkit of the Belmont whip, and then everything else is meant to compensate for the limitation. So then it's like the sub weapons of like the holy water trying to nab, nab people from down below with that downward trajectory intentionally, other than the sunlock, that is actually what it's meant for, right? Is that verticality or otherwise the axe if it's above you. Um, so like I always think of things in terms like that, and then like Alucard solves that problem, or Grant solves the problem of Trevor's mobility because Trevor can't mm-hmm. move worth shit. You know what I mean? So yeah. Like I always think in those terms, and I never mind like the Fleeman. I, I, I think the worst enemy is the the serpent, the Skull Serpents. Yeah, they're bad. Skull Serpents are yeah.
1: <laughs> There's so much health. So much health. So much health.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you, you want holy water and you want it to land on them when their head dips down to the ground. Otherwise, it's just like, it's a slog.
1: That was the only level where I ran out, I died because I ran out the clock because I was killing them slowly yeah. with Alucard's diagonal fireball.
2: Yeah, you, you the the clock cuts it really close in that level and it takes forever with the fireball. Yeah. Um. So I guess, yeah, something I would say as a minor criticism about like the bosses in general is that like, so my whole thing with Castlevania is that just the aesthetic of the game is like the coolest. Like I just I love the music, mm-hmm. I love the visuals, I love the way the sprites look. In terms of quality of boss fights, just kind of okay. Uh you could do far, far worse than Castlevania. I mean so many NES games just like are absolutely yeah. atrocious to play. Castlevania is like
1: Ninja Gaiden.
2: Right, right. There's there's so many games where just the boss fights are atrocious. But even the NES Castlevania games at their best don't have boss fights that are as satisfying as, like, a good Mega Man boss.
1: I agree with that. Yeah, I would 100% agree with that. I love the NES Mega Mans.
2: Oh, absolutely. They're so good. Uh, Yeah, and, you know, some some fights are better than others in the Mega Man games, of course. But, like, when when you pick your couple favorite bosses from, like, each NES Mega Man game, and that's, like, that's the gold star for, like, the best boss fight that exists in an NES game. And uh yeah, like Castlevania doesn't quite reach that um but it reaches a level that's acceptable for sure.
1: I think the best fight to me, you know, I didn't mind the death fight that bad, but that's cuz I had like a cool fight with it. Um but I do like the I don't know what it's called, the shadow self, the the one that's your Dark Link fight. I I cheese that oh, fight. Yeah. I cheese that fight so Oh, hard. Me too. Yeah, I cheese that fight, but also like the bit where I wasn't cheesing it was satisfying to do. Um, and I think, like, I don't know much about the franchise going forward, as I've said, but like leaning into the um the dudes in armor to co- to steal a phrase type of boss fight, I think would do the franchise better.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I guess uh doppelgangers will exist in a, in other Castlevania games without saying too much. So, uh, yeah, th- that is that is a boss that will show up again.
0: Yep. Oh. Um do we have final thoughts on Castlevania three? Or like what what haven't we talked about?
1: Why Ooh. wasn't Grant in the Netflix show?
0: They have in the in the final season there is like the woman is part of the dynasties,
1: right? Oh, is that so, right? So I mean
2: I, I, I know the like I know the actual answer to that or whatever. Is it because Trevor I, so,
1: went to save Cypher so he never encountered Grant? It
2: was because the the writer um and this is going way back. So, like, I remember when they were pitching doing Castlevania three as a movie, mm-hmm. uh, and this is like more than ten years before the Netflix show came out. Uh, and the Netflix show is actually like an alteration of that script from like more than ten years back. So, and so the guy had the uh, the lead writer had like a whole blog about like, oh, this is the Castlevania movie I am going to be making. And he was sharing a lot of his thoughts about it, um, and I remember his whole thing with Grant. <laughs> and it's really funny in retrospect. Is that uh, his problem with him? Is that like the setting of Castlevania is in a landlocked area, so it doesn't make sense that there would be pirates <laughs> around? And like that was his That's... reason for like right now, Koran. He's like, this character's dumb because there shouldn't be pirates. <laughs> but I'm like, holy shit, like the, the
0: Netflix. <laughs> what <a> bad reason. <laughs>
2: And this is this is hundred percent true. We could I, I guarantee I would be able to find a citation. I can find the old quote for that. that, that that's an absolute. That's I one hundred percent
1: believe it for that. Um, I his, I'm blanking on his name because it's like so Warren simple. Ellis, right? Warren, Warren Ellis. Ellis, that's it. Yeah, there we go. Yeah.
2: that was his rationale, and it's so funny to me because in the Netflix show, there's a whole scene where like, uh, what's his name? I'm getting the characters' names mixed up, but the the guys who can Isaac. The, the demon forge masters. You're talking
1: about Isaac. Yeah. Isaac is on a boat with a pirate.
2: Exactly what I was going to say. I'm just like, (laughs) it's like, that's, it should have been fucking Grant's boat. I don't know. Like,
1: (laughs) I guess from a writing perspective, I guess from a writing perspective, adding Grant kind of ruins the, uh, the three person dynamic of Trevor, Saitha and Alucard in that show. But also they split up like super early into the entire run of the show. So whatever, (laughs)
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i know i can get that he didn't need to be a main character but i'm just like oh yeah he should have been on that boot episode like that's like <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> yep that was weird
1: yep. all right all right yep is it time for plugs we can i can i can plug some stuff i guess uh, well i guess illusory anything you want to mm-hmm. plug anything that if our listeners liked your showing here they should check out of yours
2: Oh, sure. Yeah, so I have a YouTube channel called Illusory Wall. Uh, that's where I do the deep dives into Dark Souls and all the Souls games, uh, their mechanics, how they work. Um, even though there hasn't been a new episode in years, it's been a hiatus for a long time. I have the Retro Game Audio podcast, uh, which is lots of retro uh, video game sound design analysis. Why does the Super Nintendo sound the way it does? Why does the Sega Genesis sound that way? Um,
0: and you you went on like a Konami NES spiel like that was two hours long so if you if you thought that the interesting stuff of the castlevania 3 thing here then check out that podcast because it was like boom perfect
2: I oh, thank you yeah i've got two things you yeah, have one that there's an entire episode dedicated to all of konami's nes soundtracks and there's an entire episode about the vrc6 sound expansion that the japanese castlevania 3 used so there's an episode about that specifically as well um
0: right. yeah. and then uh also you have a petition
2: Yeah, which, uh, I have a petition. Uh, it's, it's probably dead and not going anywhere, which I shouldn't say. Uh, No, go, go sign. So, uh, I recently did an episode about, uh, Dark Souls 2 has this chest in the Majula mansion basement that in the original version of the game, uh, it was, well, it has network functionality. The server can tell the game without patching it, Hey, spawn this item in the chest. They only ever used it in the original version of the game. They never used it in the Scholar of the First Sin re release. So, Scholar of the First Sin is kind of supposed to be the definitive version of Dark Souls 2. Um, but there were a few weaponry skins uh, that were only made available in the original game. They never used that chest to give them out in the remake, or the re release, I should say. And uh, so, my whole pitch was like, okay, they never used it. It's never going to happen. But then, while I was scripting the episode, I was like, wait a minute. The servers are offline on PC, so maybe there's a tiny shred of hope that as they're fixing the servers, you know, it means, like, someone's actually looking at the servers for the first time in years, maybe that means they could say, okay, let's send, let's use it. So I had a petition, like, hey, use the chest when the PC when the PC servers come back online. Only a week after I made that video, the PC servers uh, came back online. So I only had that petition up for a week, and I don't think it reached the people involved, so I'm kind of like, uh, maybe you can still do this? But yeah, I don't know. I th- it might be too late. Who knows?
0: It was a noble goal.
2: I had to try. I knew it was a long shot. I, like I wasn't really expecting it to work. But I was like, again, I didn't make the video with the petition in mind. As a script, I was just like, oh, I just want to talk about the history of the chest. It's kind of interesting. This, the history and implication of timed releases. Blah blah blah. But then as I was scripting, I was like, I have to at least try. Like I, I got it. If if they added the reskins into Skull of the Frison, like. Because of me, I would be like, holy shit. So I was like, I have to try. Um, but yeah, probably not gonna pan out.
1: Well verily
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Dark Souls 2 is my favorite one, so like it meant it oh, meant yeah. a lot to me. Um Murph, what do you have to plug?
1: What do we have to plug? Well, on the Twin Geeks Network, we have a variety of ongoing podcasts, uh, such as the Twin Geeks podcast, where Calvin and David go through full director filmographies. They have finally sent the uh, last episode on Robert Altman. Um, And it's a good episode. I'd recommend checking now because at the very end, they do the incredibly large tier list of like 55 different movies that that guy directed over his lifetime. Um, it's a very, it's been a very interesting ride. I recommend checking it out. Uh, but in more recent publications, uh, Calvin's other project, 808s and Pod Breaks, where he talks about different, uh, hip hop and rap albums and just kind of, it's kind of branched down to more like music in general. Uh, just had a new episode talking about, uh, Taylor Swift's latest album and then going over some, uh, albums from 1975 that were very integral to Calvin's experience growing up. If you're looking for something uh, more spooky this Halloween, I recommend checking out The Fright Files, uh, where they look at sort of the broader scope of a horror franchise. Uh, episode one is on The Ring, where they talk about the different Ring novels and spin-offs and such. Uh, that's a very good listen as well. Uh, I'm thinking of spoiling things with uh, Steven and our recent guest Vaughn, where they talk about re- uh, contemporary releases. Uh, the most recent one I listened to was Blonde, but I'm almost a hundred percent certain they've done one since then, but I don't know the name of it. I'm not seeing here in my podcast list. So we'll act like it's a mystery.
0: Yeah. And Jack also, uh, by the way, um, uh, I don't, you didn't mention Jack there, but Jack does, uh, office hours and the stacks with yeah. Stephen, And, uh, he has an album out, which I promoted last episode and I'll promote this episode too. 10 he second did... beats. 10 second beats. Uh, yep. And, uh, and he uh, he also did our theme song. So, yeah, big thanks. Yes, and the, also...
1: Uh, the uh, most recent episode of Office Hours, he talks about the uh, composition of that and some of his influences for the different songs.
0: Ooh, exciting. And uh, he is also next week's episode guest.
1: Yes, yes. And um, to, when this episode itself comes out... Uh, there might be another Murph project that's debuted on the Twin Geeks. Uh, something, something, the wind blows ill omens indeed. (laughs) Is it not time to say the name of it or or is it still,
0: are we still holding it back?
1: No, I'm going ARG with this.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right. I, I, I won't bother. But anyways. The next episode we had, we were like, Jack did our theme song, clearly we need a musical episode,
1: and then we scrapped all of somehow, that. And we somehow, somehow. We went from, like, <laughs> Um Jamalami, and we wound up with Star Wars Masters of Terras <laughs> I don't know how it happened. Which I'm is the PS1 playing. fighting game. <laughs> At the very least,
0: we're unpredictable. That's the goal here. Wildcard. <laughs> illusory wall thank you so much for joining us oh thank you so much
2: for having me on I just I love talking about Castlevania video games in general so this was a blast thank you
1: awesome. so openly. all right, so and we're fading out okay much like an illusory wall when you hit it yeah we're getting we're getting good at this uh oh let me pause stop stop recording
3: Ghouls from every tomb are closing in to seal your doom, and though you fight to stay alive, your body starts to shiver, for no mere mortal can resist the evil.